I want to welcome those uh, joining us online today. It's great to have everyone in the room as well. If this is your first time, I want to give you a special shout out. Glad you're here. We're in a series uh, called Hope, but before we kind of get into that, I just want to give you a, a last update. Uh, about 15 years ago, I walked in on a four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. I was pastoring in a place called Patterson, California. It was a bedroom community to the Bay Area. About 20,000 people lived there. And there was a church that was celebrating its five-year anniversary. And so uh, we were all invited in the community. Uh, the pastors were invited. And so um, after our services were over, went over to that church about four o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, I got to experience some things I've never experienced before in church. And I won't share all of those, but one of those was when we received, when they received an offering, about after a few songs, they received an offering, and they, there was just one row of pews, about 15 deep, and I was about on the 12th row, and when it was time to receive the offering, everyone just walked by. They had a group down the front called deacons, and they had baskets out there, and we all walked past the deacons, and we gave our offering as they were singing music, and went back and sat down, and we sang a few more songs. Someone shared a little bit, and they came back and said, hey, we didn't raise enough uh, to meet our, our weekly budget, so we were going to receive a, another offering. And so we all filed up, and we walked by, and we, we, they received another offering. We sang about three more songs. The guy came back and said, we did not receive enough in our second offering. We're going to take a third offering. We're going to receive a third offering now. And so we all filed back, and I set, when I sat back there, I said, if they come back and say, we're going to receive one more offering, I'm out of here. And uh, sure enough, he came back out, and when they gave an opportunity to receive another offering, I was out of there. I, was, I, was, I don't know how many offerings it took to receive, but it kind of made me think of the last three weeks. If you're new with us today, I apologize, but we've just been sharing how we're at the end of our statistical year. So this is like our December 31st of our fiscal year. And so everything that's given today, whether in online or uh, given, um, you know, through check, uh, whatever it may be, anything that's marked today um, goes towards finishing out this year. And we've just been kind of whittling down, and we're setting today at 34000 um, left to finish out our year. And that's about, uh, normal offerings, about seventeen, eighteen thousand. 18000 So really, it's only about double. And a couple, about three weeks ago, we were setting around 72000 So we've made huge progress. And so I just share that as a need. It's not to do an offering and do a compulsion and keep coming. I want to share some good news about how God is working in our lives. You saw a little bit and how God's working in our world, but I love how God's working in our church. And this last month, um, we've had six first-time givers to our church. Two of those were children. And I don't care how small or how big, a few years ago, and I apologize if you didn't receive, but a few years ago, I had a pastor said, you should write thank yous to first-time givers because it's significant. And so I'm sorry if I missed you, but I try to, no matter how, so I got to write to a couple kids this week as well and just thank them for their giving in April. And what, really what we're celebrating and the reason this pastor said you need to celebrate that because it's a big deal. Number one, they're making a spiritual decision when they give. They're making a commitment that, you know, Jesus said, these words to us that where your treasure is, that your heart will be also. They're letting you know where their heart is, that their heart is they're wanting to honor God with everything. They want to honor God with their finances and their money. And we don't earn God's salvation. It's a free gift given to us. It's, but it's a spiritual decision. He said, secondly, it says to them, that it says to you that they're with the mission of your church. They, they're saying this is a place where we belong. This is a place where we believe in the mission. And so 
I just say uh, thank you for your giving. Thank you for your faithfulness. And uh, I just believe whatever God uh, lays on our heart, He's going to help us. But I just uh, share with you today, if you can give a little extra to uh, finish out our year, it goes a long ways to helping us as we uh, budget each year. So thank you for uh, your giving today. We're, let's get into our Hope Series today. Uh, we, if you're new with us, we've been talking about seven factors uh, that, that people that are, that are hopeful build into their lives. And it's not an exclusive club. I mean, this is for everyone. We can all raise our hope applying these seven principles to our life. But people that you can think about in your life, you just, as we go through this series, you think about people that you know in your life that go, man, that person's filled with hope. And you don't see if these seven factors are present in their life. And if we will do these things, and see if, if God will raise our hope level. So backing up two weeks ago, we talked about recharging our batteries um, because no one runs well running on empty. Car doesn't run well on empty. Our life doesn't run well on empty. We talked last week about raising our expectations. And people that are filled with hope, people that are hopeful, they raise their expectations. They don't just settle for where things are. I love some of the conversations, and I love some of the honest conversations that you have with me after the messages. And one of the honest conversations was from someone that said, you know, we came across a study that um, only 2% of people actually can change which is really bad news for us. That means 98% of us, it's an impossibility for us to change. And I began to think about that this week, and I thought, you know what? I think that percentage, humanly speaking, is probably lower than 2%. Humanly speaking, it's probably 0%. But we're not talking about humanly speaking. We're not talking about ourselves and our power and, and, and our might. We're talking about God's power and His might. And I thought about it this way. If a man or woman dies and they're dead in the ground for three days, humanly speaking, there is nothing that is going to raise that person from the dead. But we don't deal with humanly speaking. We deal with the supernatural. And if we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, the Scripture says the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. That is our hope for change, absolutely. That is our hope for change, not, our, not ourselves, not what we can do, not pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. Our hope is in the fact if Jesus, if God raised Jesus from the dead and that same spirit that, that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us, that's where our hope comes. It's not pie in the sky. It's not pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's not a self-help positive talk message. It is what Christ, the power of the, uh, the cross, the power of the Holy Spirit does within us. So here's seven factors. We've talked about a few of them. Today we're talking about refocus on the future. Refocus on the future. I went back to my childhood, and I thought about some wonderful teachers in my life that built this into me. Uh, I think about Mrs. Jacoby in kindergarten, two years. I think about Mrs. Weber. I, I think, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do these in order because I'm going to leave one out, but I think about Mrs. Irwin, and I think about Miss, uh, Mrs. Greenberg, and I think about Mr. Young. All these teachers, elementary teachers, they did something for me. They, they looked at my potential. They looked at what I could be, not what I was. But I had one teacher, and she'll remain nameless because we live in the day of the Internet, and I would hate to hurt anybody's feeling. But there's one teacher who treated me like the idiot that I was. And, and it was a year that, honestly, I wouldn't want to go back to that year. I, I, 
I just, I was not encouraged being in that class, and I wasn't, I was a dummy, I was an idiot. I, I was kind of the, remember, I'm the kid, if you're new, I'm the kid that, uh, uh, along with the pastors, the worship pastor's son, he and I, we, we took rocks and we, we knocked out every single window on the church bus that my dad was the pastor of. I mean, so there's, there's reason for concern. There was reason to treat me the way I was treated. But the rest of those teachers, they treated me for what I could become, what I could be. And some of you walked in here today and some of you watching online today, and you come in here discouraged because you're not looking at the way things can be. You're looking at things the way that they are. And you're, you're, you may be discouraged today because you're looking at how your kids are or how your kid is today versus what they can be. You're looking at your marriage as what it is right now, not what it can be. You're looking at your job as what it is right now, not what it can be. You, you may be even looking at your own spiritual life as what it is now, not what it can be, what God can make it to be. And certainly that leaves us discouraged. When I focus on my past failures, when I focus on things in my present or past that are just circumstances that happen to us, and I focus on those things, I get discouraged too. When I look back, I get discouraged on some of those things. But today is about being future focused. I talk about, uh, I like this Floyd Campbell, don't even know who he is, I just came across this quote. Someone will probably tell me who it is, it's probably some heavy metal singer or something, I have no idea. But I just love the quote, and I didn't look him up, and so hopefully he's not a saint worshiper or anything like that. I just, I, I love the quote. Even though there are days I wish I could change some things that happened in the past, there's a reason the rear view mirror is so small and the windshield is so big. Where you're headed is more important than what you've left behind. And that's, that is, I, I believe, is this. We do better looking forward. We do better looking through the, the windshield and through the front looking forward. No one drives a, a car well looking in the rear view mirror all the time. And none of us live our lives well living there either. So today is about refocusing on the future. And Jesus uh, focused on his, uh, uh, Jesus set the example for this in how he even modeled about when he recruited his disciples. He didn't recruit the best and the brightest. He didn't recruit the cream of the crop. He, he recruited ordinary people. And he looked at these disciples, not for where they were, but he looked at them for their potential. He looked at them for what they could be, what he could help them to become. And so with this, I share this verse from Mark chapter 1, verse 16, uh, when Jesus was recruiting his disciples as he, as he, as Jesus was going along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become. He was focused on what they could become. And I even think, have you ever thought about this? That these so-called professional fishermen, how good really were they? I mean, every time I find them in the scripture, they caught nothing. I mean, over and over. I mean, I don't find a place that without Jesus saying, hey, throw it out onto the other side of the boat, and then they caught something. But every other time, they, ne they never caught anything. So how good really were they? They were ordinary they were unschooled. I mean, Dr. Luke, who wrote uh, the, the book of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, he said of them, he was just describing what the people thought of them, but in Acts it says they were unschooled, ordinary men. 
but God used unschooled and the ordinary to change the world. And God looks at what we can become, not who we are. He loves us just the way that we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there. He is future focused. He wants us to be future focused as well. So here's some, uh, just a few other examples all through scripture. This isn't just the disciples, but God looked at people and he looked at people that had failed. They looked at people that had a checkered past and he used those checkered pasts. He used those failures. He didn't focus on that. He focused on what they could become. So we look at Jonah who, who ran from God. God could have said, hey, I'm going to find someone else who's willing to say yes the first time. But no, he used Jonah to change a whole city, to turn a whole city to God. He used Moses, who for the first two-thirds of his life to 80 years old had accomplished nothing. His resume was small, if, unless you want to include murder in the resume. He hadn't accomplished anything. He had a speech impediment. But God used Moses to deliver two million Jews in, out of bondage of the Egyptians, God wasn't focused on their past. I think about the Apostle Paul, who was persecuted the church, who killed Christians. But God used him to write two-thirds of the New Testament that we have today. He was focused on people's future. I think about doubting Thomas. God chose to look, Jesus chose to look past his doubts to the little faith that he did have. And doubting Thomas would later go on to be the first to spread the gospel in India. He used people, he used their past, their checkered past. And of course, we, we think about Peter, who, uh, who's maybe one of the greatest at uh, Jesus overlooking his past. And he gave him this nickname called the Rock. He was Simon, and, and Jesus gave him this nickname Peter long before he was deserving of it. Because he saw what he could be. And he said, on this rock of revelation, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. I, I was given a nickname by Mrs. Greenberg in the fourth grade. She called me Perfect Peterson. I am anything but perfect. I am far from perfect. But I can tell you this. I would go through walls for Mrs. Greenberg because she set a standard for me. She, she, she took a weakness and she, she called it a strength because it was kind of being obsessive compulsive was kind of my deal. And I was the last to have my desk ready and the last to be organized. Everyone was waiting on me before we could go to recess. And instead of looking at me as someone that she began to turn it into a positive and I would have gone through a wall for her. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become. Jesus saw what his disciples could become. And the good news is this, he wants to do the same thing for you and me. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what he did back then, he wants to do for us. He looks at us for not what we are, but what we can be. He's future focused. I want to say it this way. Jesus died for you for what was and what has been so that you could become what will be. God is future focused. Jesus is future focused. He wants us to be future focused. This is a guy you've heard me talk about before, Howard Hendricks. You've heard me kind of share a quote uh, from, the, from the Ray Johnson's book about 
Uh, discouragement is the anesthetic the devil uses on a person right before he reaches in and he carves out their heart. You've heard me share that several times. That's this guy. Who's, who's Howard Hendricks? He's one of the greatest theologians of the 21st century. He made one of the greatest impacts on some of the greatest pastors and authors of the 21st century. Tony Evans is one of those. Dr. David Jeremiah is a, another that he taught at, Dar- at Dallas Theological Seminary. Chuck Swindoll was another. Uh, Chuck Swindoll said, oftentimes at the top of my paper, he would write just a few simple words that would say, Chuck, one day you will write. Chuck, one day you will write. And he goes, and he birthed within me something that made me believe that one day I'd write. Of course, he's written uh, bestsellers, millions of books. Chuck Swindoll has, has written. But where did Howard get this from? He didn't get it because he was raised in a great environment. He came from a very broken home that his parents split early on. He was raised by his grandmother. He was known in, the, in, in all through elementary school, he was known as a troublemaker. In fifth grade, he had a teacher, probably like a teacher that I had, who saw him for what he was, not what he could become. And this teacher was so fed up with he and his three buddies. She said, you're the worst, you three, you four are the worst behaved in the whole school, and you're all, you're all gonna be in prison one day. And she was right on three or four of them. Three or four would go on to prison. But Howard Hendricks, thankfully, he had sixth grade. And sixth grade is when he encountered Miss, Miss No. Not N-O, but N-O-E. He encountered Miss No. And, and Miss No, on the first day of school, was doing roll call. And she came to Howard and she said, Howard, I've heard a lot about you. And he immediately thought, here we go again. She's read my files. She knows what every other teacher, she knows my reputation, and his heart sunk in discouragement. But that's not where she ended her sentence. She said, Howard, I've heard a lot about you, and I don't believe a word of it. He said, it was the first time in my life that I had someone that believed in me. And something within me changed that day when I had someone that believed in me for what I could be, not what I was. And, she, and he said, I would have ran through a brick wall. I would have done anything. And I gave my best effort for Miss No. I would do anything for her. And that's where life began to change. And he goes, that's where I learned to really think in this way. And it's the question that he lived his life investing in his students with these, with these words. What can this become? He said, that launched within me. I began to ask the question, well, not what is this, but what can this become? He began to look at all of his students, students that we've named and others. He began to look at them, not for what they were, but for what they could become. And he said, there's power. When you focus on what someone can become, all things become possible. And when, you, when you see people you, and, and you see them for what they can be, you, get to, you begin to get a hopeful future for what they can be. And the future becomes brighter. What can this become? What if we'd ask this question, what can this become? What if teachers, we asked, what could this student become versus what this student is? How might it change their lives? 
If we'd start with, instead of what the, this business is, what could this business become? How could it change things? How, how, what about if, what if we looked at our job as, instead of what this job is, what could it become? Or instead of my marriage, what it, it is, what it could become? What if we changed our focus and began to focus even on a church, not what we are, but what it is? God has been blessing us in recent days. This first service, thank you, God. It's been growing. We've seen an increase, but I believe our best day are still ahead. I believe God wants to do more. I believe God is going to do more. I believe our best days are yet ahead of us. What happens if we'll say this question to whatever's going on in our life, what can this become if we refocused on our future? If you want to raise your hope today, we have to be future-focused. I was counseling a, a couple, and I was there's things that sometimes you learn. You're, you're going to help them, but they're saying, I wrote this down after I left this, uh, this uh, counseling session. I wrote this quote down, but I'd asked, the, I'd asked what had given them hope. And the man replied to me, he said, she's overlooked my past in order to see my potential. She's been willing to overlook my past in order to see my potential. When we're past focused, when we're past focused, it's like driving in reverse. And, and when we go back there over and over, who does well driving, going forward when someone's constantly reminding you of the past that you have or the, the failures of your past or what you've done and how you do it wrong? Who benefits? Who drives forward well when we're reminded constantly of our past? and our past mess-ups, and, and where we're not doing well. But who drives well going forward when someone begins to believe in them and begins to say, hey, I believe you can do this. I believe that there's better in you instead of hounding on the things of our past. And Howard had that. And certainly, what if we did that for others? I want to share three things. You're thinking, I got notes here. There's nothing to write here yet. Um, benefits of being future-focused. Benefits of being future-focused. The first one is this. Passion replaces apathy and discouragement. We talked about this last week. Most things start with passion and, and start with, uh, 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 it has a great start. Marriages start great. Uh, the honeymoon starts great. Uh, new Christians, they start with excitement and passion and they're future focused. Uh, maybe a new job or new career. We start all excited and we're passionate about it, but then life kind of hits us. I started uh, my uh, college career after having a pretty good high school career. I never talk about high school. Everyone just says what a loser I was. I never talk. We won in high school a lot. But I got to college and we won five wins, 35 losses in four years. And uh, my freshman year, we, we were about halfway through the season. Uh, the coach started playing a lot more freshmen. Some of the freshmen were having some good success. And one was our linebacker from New Mexico, Kenny Keeler. And every Friday before our game on Saturday, there was a players-only meeting after practice. And Kenny had started two games. He'd had two really good games. And he got up, and he felt emboldened to speak to the team. And he said, guys, I came from a school. We won a state championship. We, we were winners. We won there, and we're going to win here. He was giving this fiery speech where you're starting to get excited and go, yes, yes, yes. And he goes, the last thing he said, and I'm not used to losing. And a senior in the back, and I'll just say his first name because we got the internet. His name's Jason. 
And he was sipping a Coke, and he says, get used to it. (laughs) Kind of deflated the whole moment right there at that time. He was looking and focused on his past, wasn't focused on what could be. He was focused on what was and what he had experienced. But when we get a new vision, when we do what Paul says, Paul says, but one thing I do. Paul had a checkered past. Paul had a past that was one that you'd want to forget. It'd been so easy for him to focus on how bad he was. But he said, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the price for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He is future focused. He's saying, I'm not going to let my past determine my future. I'm going I'm to look to what God has for me. I'm going to look forward to what God has for me in the future. And when you become future focused, it reignites your passion for the things God wants to do in and through you. The second thing is, you experience great comebacks. When you're future focused, you're going to experience great comebacks in your life. Who knows that a great movie, what makes a great movie is the great comeback, right? It's not everything goes well. What makes a great movie is all these things that went bad, but they overcame it. And this isn't pie in the sky. Um, Another little football illustration, Coach Redwine. uh, After my freshman year, they fired the head coach in college. They brought in a new coach, a young 26-year-old first-time head coach. His name was Mike Redwine, and uh, Coach Redwine, he came in and he gave us a speech. He basically said, there's a lot of things that are out of our control. There's a lot of things that we have no control over, but the one thing that we have control over is we can work harder than anyone else. And he got us believing that we could work harder than anyone else. We couldn't worry about the things out of our control, but what we could do is we could work harder than anyone else. And you would think with that mentality, my sophomore year, we went in and we won all these games. No, we went 0 and 10. Zero wins, 10 losses. It was my favorite year because we had hope. We were getting better each week. We, were, we, were, we lost seven games by less than four points in the last few minutes of every game. We just couldn't get over the hump. The next year, we were one and nine. We made a little progress, still pretty discouraging. The, our, my senior year, we went two and eight. We, we, we doubled our wins over three years before. Then they got rid of me, and the next year, they went six, three, and one. Coach Redwine could have got discouraged. He could have focused on the past, but he was constantly future focused. And a few years later, they would win a conference championship. His last year in, in 2000, he was hired in 91. His last year in 2000, they would go 11 and 2, and they would go to the national championship game. They lost it, but they went to the national championship because there was a future focus. If you want to stay stuck in the past, if you don't want to go forward, stay focused on the past continue driving in reverse. It'll get you nowhere. But there's something about people that are filled with hope, and God wants us to be filled with hope, and that hope comes from focusing on the future that he has for us, not the past that we're living in, not the present that we are living in. The third thing I would say is the benefit is you're set free to dream. I love this verse. So many of your favorites, some of you private posted in your, at your office or on your computer screen. I mean, this is a verse that we all love. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future, to give you a hope and a future. We love that verse, right? It's one of our favorites. I think it's important that we understand the context of which, when that verse was written, when God said that. It wasn't written on the mountaintop. It was written in the valley. 
This was written at a time, and this was said by God at a time when Israel was experiencing their darkest hour. Other than the death of Jesus on the cross, this was the darkest hour for Israel. For they had been thrown into captivity in Babylon. We talked about that in Ezra at the beginning of the year. They were captives. They had, they, they had survived. These were the survivors of the exile. Now they're under foreign occupied, uh, foreign occupied rule, living in a foreign land, away from their homeland. When, when God in the middle of this says, in the middle of despair, distraught, and discouragement, God says these words, not at the mountaintop, but in the lowest of valleys. He says, I still know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So what do we do when we're living with the promises, but the circumstances aren't meeting the promise? What, what, how do we live when we're in exile, <laughs> when, when we're not home? When these words were shared, God's, God was like, you're going to have 70 more years that you're going to be living in exile. 70 more years that you're not going to be home. But I want to tell you, you may not like my timing. I'm telling you, my timing is perfect, and I'm going to bring you home. I'm going to bring you back home in my timing. But you got to trust me that I have a hope and I have a future, even if you're in the middle of exile, even if you're in your darkest hour. So how do we live? Well, if we back up to early, uh, the early part of chapter 29, it tells us this. This is what the Lord Almighty says, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried in exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city which I have carried you into exile. So seek the prosperity of the foreign occupiers. Seek the prosperity of this foreign dictator. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So how do we live? God tells us in the middle of exile when everything's going wrong, keep living, keep planning, keep having a future and a hope. Don't stop making plans. God's got to, he's, he's working things out for his purpose and his glory. So don't give up on that. Keep working towards that. I'm going to bring you home. You got to trust me in that. I, I think today if your marriage, you feel like it's in exile, what's God's words for you today? Seek peace. Seek prosperity of your spouse. Pray for them. Because if they get better, you get better. Seek peace in your home. As far as it depends upon you, seek peace with those around you. Seek if, if, if your spouse gets better, it's going to go well for you. So what can you do to help them prosper? How can you help their dreams? How can you help fulfill their, their desires? What can you do for them when you feel like you're in a, in a low spot? What about you're, maybe you're at a, in a bad job with a bad boss? What do you do when you're in a place where you don't love working where you're working? Seek the peace and prosperity of your of your employer. Seek the peace and prosperity of the business. Give it all you got. Help it be successful. Pray for your boss. Pray for those. Pray for the business. Pray that it would go well because if it goes well for them, it goes well for you. You may be thinking today you're focused on where your kids are or where your kid is. 
What do you do when they're rebelling and they're not listening to you and they, they think everything that you have to say is stupid? What do you do? You seek their peace and prosperity. It doesn't mean you stop parenting. It doesn't mean there's not consequences. But you seek their, you, what can I do? What can I do for, what's the best I can do for them to help them through this season? How can I pray for them? You seek the best for them. While living in exile, you seek the best for them. You stay future focused. You focus not on what it is, but what it can be. You focus on what, not what your marriage is, but focus on what it could be with God. Don't focus on where your kids are or where your kid is today. Focus on what they can be. Focus on your, your students, not what they are, but what they can be. And I know it gets discouraging day after day, but seek their peace and prosperity. Pray for them. Remember this guy? For those of you who knew, this is Pastor Bones. Pastor Bones, last year on May 6th, went home to be with Jesus. 91 years old, one of my favorite people of all time. Actually, we lost a couple giants last year. There was Larry Doskasil on April 21st of last year. He was 91 as well. Uh, actually, something, those of you who know who Pastor Bones and know Larry Doskasil, two totally different personalities. You couldn't be any more polar opposite in their personalities. But I'll tell you this, one thing they had completely in common, they were both future-focused. They were focused on what could become, not what was. They were always looking to the future and what could be, what, what something could be, not what it is. And today I'm, I could share both of their lives, but I share a little bit about Pastor Bones today. Uh, Pastor Bones didn't get a great start in life. Um, he was abandoned by his uh, biological parents, his adoptive parents, great people. They brought him into this home, and uh, so that strike one kind of against him didn't start off with a good life. Then strike two, he was given the name Merle. We all know him as Bones, but, you know, you're given the name Merle. I think he would, he would agree with that, and I apologize to anyone watching online or anyone here that has the name Merle. There was a time in his life early on in his elementary years when the experts, the counselors, the teachers, they had a meeting. He was sitting outside that room and they basically said, Merle will never learn like other kids. He had something that we now know a diagnose now. They didn't know how to diagnose it back then. It was called dyslexia. And it was just equated to him as you're dumb and you're not going to do anything with your life. And he overheard those words that you're not, he will never learn like the rest of the kids. And it sparked something within him. And it became a, you watch me. You watch me and see what, see what's, what's going to happen. What can become of me? And God was already working his life. He wasn't a follower of Jesus, but God was already working his life. He'd go on to be president of his class in Wichita. He would live in so many ways, a, a, a great life through his uh, leadership in the sports world and in high school. Uh, kind of probably went a little success. Maybe I don't know if it went to his head, but he went to college, went to Northwestern on a scholarship. Didn't last there very long. He flunked out of Northwestern, came home, but he got refocused on the future with the help of the Marine Corps. He would tell you that. Sometimes we need some tough love in our life to get us refocused on the future. We need people to speak into our life and give us some tough love and say, better days are ahead, but you got to straighten up. And so he began to, began to get refocused. And he began to live his life. And of course, 
when I came into his life, it was near the end. It was the last seven years. And my first year, my first six months of being his friend and pastor, his adult son, his only son, Chris, died and passed away. It was a hard time. A couple years before he, about a year or so before he uh, passed, Noreen, of 66 years, his wife passed. But something I noticed in Pastor Bones is he never stopped being future-focused. It didn't mean there wasn't pain or hurt in those losses, but he turned that focus and he began to focus on his future. He began to focus on others. And even at the end of his life, when he could no longer come to church and he lived over in Samaritan's assisted living and was, uh, he couldn't come to church anymore physically. What's he do? He starts a Bible study for other, other seniors in, in where he's living because he's future focused. He's always focused on the future. And if you know Pastor Bones and everyone can say, is there a guy that we know that was filled with more hope than this guy? But it wasn't by accident. It was intentional. And one of the things that he built intentionally into his life is he stayed future focused and he stayed focused on others, what he could do for them. The greatest thing that transformed his life was when he was 47 years old. He'd reached the pinnacle of his career, assistant athletic director at Kansas State University. He loved it. But two years later, he was fired. And talking with his daughter, Cindy, this last week said it was more devastating to him than we'll ever know. He was devastated. But then a pastor in Wichita began to share with him about the love of Christ and about the love of Jesus. And he'd say, how are you doing spiritually? And Bones would say, well, I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready. He didn't know what he was getting ready for. He would tell you that. But then that pastor came along and said, you'll never be ready enough. you change your mind, repent of your sin, give your life to Jesus Christ, and focus on the future that he has for you. And at age 47, Pastor Bones refocused his life on the future that God had for him. And we got to experience the best of Bones because he trusted his future to a God that had the best in mind for him. Would go on to be the uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, uh, director for the state of Kansas for eight years. Would go on to make great difference in Hutchison High School and their football team and in our church because it was a man that wasn't focused on the past, but he was focused on the future that God had for him. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father. Lord, it can be tough sometimes if we're honest to stay future focused. We're in the middle of discouragement. We're in the middle, when we're in the middle of setbacks. We're in the middle of circumstances that are against us and opposed to us. Or when we're maybe in, 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 a, in a relationship where we're feeling uh, constantly being torn down. God, I pray today that you would use the words that I've spoken, I pray that more importantly you'd use the words found in the, your word to turn a light bulb on. Lord, to help us to not look at what is, but look what can be because of what you have done and what you see in us and the potential that you see us see in us. Help for some of us today, maybe for a, a couple, Lord, help them to stop looking at the past and driving in reverse 
but help them to look at what their spouse can be, not what they are. Help us to maybe a parent that's going through a season of of watching their kids rebel. Help them to be encouraged, Lord, to see what they can be, not what they are. And Lord, in our own lives, help us to do as pastor bones. Help us to see what you have for us and the future that you have for us, not where we are. Thank you that you love us just the way that we are, but you love us too much to leave us there. Fill our hearts. Fill our hearts with your love and the way that you see us and what you want us to become. Your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning as we close our service today. Maybe you're like Pastor Bones. And maybe you've come to a place in your life that you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ and you can have the brightest future ever walking out of here if you'll put your faith and trust in him. If that's you today, I'm not gonna call you out and embarrass you, but if you'd like me to pray for you, you'd like to pray to receive Christ as your Savior, would you just raise your hand? Simply thank you. Thank you. There are others this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Front and back, you can put your hands down. Would you stand with me today? We pray a prayer at the end of our service. It's a prayer of affirmation and confirmation for all of us. But we pray it as well as for these that raise their hand that they're not alone. That we pray this together because they're making the best decision they could ever make in their life. So would you repeat after me these, these words and believe it in your heart? Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, that he gave his life to forgive my sins and was raised from the grave to give me life. I receive, by, by, I receive your grace by faith. Come into my life. I will follow you. Amen and amen. Thank you, Jesus. For these that have prayed this prayer today for the first time or maybe returning to you, Lord, I thank you, God. Make, Lord, what you've done in their heart and their life, make it stick. Lord, we're just all on a journey together to follow you and to see what you have for us. Help us to trust in the future that you have for us, not in the future that we have for us. Lord, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.